Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And Logan, let's jump right into it. Uh, Biggest story in the NFL yesterday was Jeff Okuda traded from the Lions to the Falcons. The number three overall pick in the 2020 draft is traded for a fifth round pick in the 2023 draft. The Lions were facing a dilemma of whether or not to give Okuda his fifth year options. He's missed a bunch of time due to injury. Um, wait, that sounds that sounds very familiar. Uh, the commanders are currently in the same predicament, trying to figure out what to do with the player picks right ahead of Okuda. Of course, his college teammate, Chase Young, the number two overall pick of the 2020 draft, who has missed a whole bunch of time due to injury and who they are trying to figure out the fifth-year option on. Um, when you heard the news of this trade and see the value that the Lions got for Okuda, what did? How does that impact the way you think about what the commanders should do with Chase Young, if at all? And then we'll get to what this trade means for the the rest of the draft with the Lions now probably upping their need at corner. I think just from a big picture standpoint, it's kind of the way the league is treating f- former first round picks. You know, I think the you know the Rosen thing a couple of years ago with uh, Arizona guys that they, they're 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 ready to kind of cut bait. They understand because the the contract value of these players isn't astronomically high like it used to be they can kind of move on and do some different things and kind of accrue draft capital in different ways and um you know unfortunately jeff okuda has not been playing very well uh since he got into the league and like you said he's got a big injury history so am i surprised by the fifth round pick i do think from a commander's perspective i think it just shows you perhaps um how how the the potential return for a chase young in a trade you know i think there's a lot of people saying oh trade chase for a first round pick and i hate to break it to you but i don't think that that will happen now chase was a different animal like he was one of one with regards to evaluation so i don't think you're going to get a fifth round pick you might get a third or a fourth but it's i don't think he's going to get definitely not going to get a first round pick maybe not get a second round pick and it's just because like the draft comes every year and free agency allows you to move pieces in a different way than you did before. So I think this is going to be kind of an eye-opening thing for commanders fans specifically, because I think you and I are kind of both aware that, you know, based on his performance the last two seasons, um, you know, which is injury related, that there's not going to be a huge market for him. Now he does have the rookie of the year thing going for him, all that kind of stuff, but you haven't seen that guy for a couple of years. And again, that's not entirely his fault. Injuries are outside of your control. The rehab took a long time, all those different things. So um, 
don't know. I just I just think it it should be a kind of a sobering moment for Commanders fans. It is, but it's also to me it reinforces that the plan has got to be to figure out how to play, let him play this year, um, and whether whether you pick up that fifth year option or not, like if you want to trade him next year with that fifth year option exercised or not uh, on the franchise tag or however it is, like you need him to get a better year under his belt because chase what made him special is not just the on-field production but like his leadership skills and his kind of leadership personality i i think made him the prospect that he was um and make him who he is i mean i talked about this on the radio show yesterday but you know you can get sick and tired of seeing him the camera shots of him on the sideline super intense during games in which he's not playing, but that seems to be genuinely who that guy is. And even in the commander's log uh, thing that, that uh, your colleagues did for the commander's YouTube page and like chase sits down for this interview as, as does Terry and a bunch of other guys, but the way chase talks about football and, and kind of the vision he's got and, and the, the energy he brings is a different level than Jeff Okuda, who they were hoping would be a really good corner for a long time and, and obviously did not become that. And so the value here is, is I know they were one pick apart, but they're completely different players to me, completely different types of potential to me. And so for the commanders, if that is the market is a third or fourth round pick to me, that's not worth the return to me at that point, the, the, better risk reward proposition is to let it play out and see if this guy can even if you want to trade him eventually up his value or at least get to the point where if you lose him in free agency you're getting a third round comp pick anyway and at that point like what's the point of trading him for a fourth so uh, i think that to me is is where i sit after this is like wow okay if the market is depressed on guys that you're going to have to pay soon I'd rather take the risk of, of playing it out with Chase because I still think the upside is there for him. Where with Okuda, I think the like the the shine is off. Like we we don't think any Jeff Okuda is going to ever go to Atlanta or anywhere else and be like an All Pro corner all of a sudden. You just hope that he's a good player for you if you're Atlanta for years to come, or you gave up a fifth round pick for him and you you move on after this year and don't wind up resigning. Yeah, I'd also think that um, you know he was probably a guy that they were thinking about cutting because I, I would bet that they're probably going to the Detroit Lions are probably going to draft Witherspoon or Gonzalez at uh, six, and I would probably say Witherspoon if I was going to put money on it. So um, yeah, I, I think if maybe Washington would be approaching this differently if they were in a position to draft you know Will Anderson or one of these top edge rushers, and you know they can still draft somebody at um, at sixteen, and I know fans probably wouldn't be too stoked on it, but I think it would show kind of a mindset towards chase and what he's been doing and how he's on the team because i know we see like outwardly a big kind of verbose personality that's that's full of leadership stuff but uh, you know part of me thinks there's a you know this is pure speculation that there's other things at play here in terms of how he's handled no, i i think so as well and so i think that that that's all stuff that's important to remember and, and you know maybe they're they're tired of waiting i guess you know and i that doesn't seem entirely fair but the league isn't always fair so I think um, that's just something to keep an eye on in terms of how they handle the draft, how they handle the next couple of weeks. I know Ron has said that he wants him here for OTAs. Um, I'm not sure what Chase's plans are, but uh, if I was him, I'd probably make an effort to be here. Just kind of, you know, we talked about this last year when he didn't come, just for the optics of it and just to kind of show, hey, like, Ron, I'm willing to meet you halfway here um, and be here for a couple of days OTA. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But I, I do think the next couple of weeks are going to be really interesting for chase and the team's vision of, uh, of the team's plan for chase moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I would say with the kind of leadership stuff that I was talking about, that's that's an upside discussion. The reality is there's been questions about that stuff. Yeah. Like, okay, you're a leader. Like when you're here, you want to be the guy in the middle or you just like being the center of attention. Sure. Um, because if you were an actual leader, maybe you'd show up for OTAs. Um, or, you know, the, the timeline I think was frustrating. The communication didn't seem to be sure. great. Even if the the timeline ultimately was correct, like there, there was clearly some communication issues that sparked up, which is why the public timeline, I think, was all over the place. And there was, you know, reports here and reports there. So I, I do 100% agree with that. And, and I'm glad that you clarified that there are certainly questions. Um, but I, I still think, you know, when you talk about trading a guy or making decisions like this, you do have to consider not only the, the height of the upside, but the likelihood that you reach it. Sure. And I still think there's enough meat on that bone that doing anything prematurely for you know, just to get it over with is, is silly. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a different case with Okuda. Like Chase Young has played more snaps than Jeff Okuda, which is so, crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is nuts. I think, I think Chase is like 1300 something in there and Okuda was like 1250 or something like that. Yeah. Um, I saw that yesterday in passing. So I don't have the exact numbers, uh, committed to memory, but like, we're talking about a guy who not only was not as good. And this is part of the reason the thing with Chase is so complicated is because he did have rookie of the year, mm -hmm. uh, his rookie year, which makes his, and or sorry, he made a pro bowl, yeah. uh, which made him or makes his fifth year option more expensive. Yeah. Um, but like Okuda, it's like, no, he's just not that good. And he's injured all the time. Yeah. So like, that's a much easier decision, uh, for the lions to make. And I know, I know the origin story is there one pick apart, but from that origin, very different directions. Um, ultimately, both disappointing, I think, and both players would probably say they're disappointed, but like the trajectories of disappointment are very, very different. Um, so I really, I guess, ultimately don't think that this, while, while it's important and like how this this trade shapes the draft and the Lions needs and yeah. what they might do at six, I think is, is important. I actually don't think it has a huge impact directly on Chase or even is reflective of what Chase's market is. Right, but I do think, I, I don't know if I entirely agree. I think it is a barometer to a certain extent, you know, and I do think there would yeah. be more interest in Chase, obviously, like his, when he is playing, he has been more impactful than Jeff Okuda. But um, I, I just think fans who are saying, oh, we'll get a first round pick if we trade Chase, like you just don't understand yeah. the market. I just I think that's unrealistic, and I think this shows that that is unrealistic. Despite you know him being a former second pick overall, all those types of things, I, I think again the value would be more than Jeff Okuda, but it's not going to be a first round pick. And so, like you said, if you get him on his, if you if you get him on the franchise tag, or if he leaves a free agency, you'll accrue a third round comp pick for him, probably. You know what I mean? So like, it's you don't need to do anything drastic here. Um, unless you think he's being detrimental to the locker room or he's being detrimental to the vision. And right. that's, again, that's uh, we have no insight on that. I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, if that's something that does happen or that does come to light, I think that that would be a reason that they would consider moving on from him sooner rather than later. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. All right, the rest of our show today is going to be very draft heavy, as you'd imagine. We are just three weeks, two weeks, two weeks ahead away from the draft. Um, also, I should have said this off the very top of the show, but very exciting news. Uh, next week, the podcast we record on Wednesday hits YouTube late Wednesday out to the audio world on Thursdays is going to be a crossover episode with our guys Brian Baldinger and Jason Locke and Fora from Odyssey's Big Giant NFL uh, Insider Podcast. So uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, so we'll have Baldy, who obviously watches a ton of tape and is uh, kind of one of the – I would say he's like kind of a trailblazer in the, yeah. hey, I'm a former player who watches tape realm. Yeah. Uh, so so pave the way for the Logan Paulsons uh, <laughs> of, of the world. Uh, Baldy's been doing it for a long time and is fantastic, has his Baldy's breakdowns. He's so good. You can also catch him on NFL Network. And Lock and Fora, who's obviously one of the top insiders in the league, has been in kind of that insider position, knows so many people in the league for a decade plus, uh, and is also is a host on one of our stations, 105.7. He does afternoons in Baltimore. So uh, they're, they're going to join us. Uh, big, giant crossover episode. Uh, if you listen to their podcast, uh, you only, you listen listen here. Listen, listen to the episode on our feed. <laughs> Give us the us the numbers no i'm just kidding uh but it'll be the same podcast on both really really pumped for that so that'll be next wednesday make sure you're subscribed uh so you do not miss it uh all right as for the rest of the show today let's start off with mel kuyper's mock uh logan because it was very very interesting he dropped yeah. his two-round mock yesterday and he's got a trade in the top three that i can't decide whether i love or I absolutely hate. He's got Tennessee trading up to the three spot with Arizona to take Anthony Richardson. What do you make of that decision? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing about Tennessee at the moment is that they seem to be kind of in the midst of deciding whether or not they want to rebuild. You know, they cut Taylor Lewan, they moved on from Ben Johnson or Ben Jones, I forget exactly what his name is. Their guard, starting guard, they paid a lot of money to. They're kind of in flux. And usually when you start cutting big kind of franchise, uh, big money players, it's like, are we getting younger? Are we building in the draft? There was talks of trading Tannehill, talks of trading Derrick Henry, all of those different things. So I do think that when you look at um, th this move, it kind of would just kind of finalize the rebuild. You're basically saying we are getting ready to move on from Ryan Tannehill. Maybe he sits with us for a year while, um, while we bring the young guy Richardson along. I, 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 he, this is a, this is a definitely a team that is a perfect candidate for this type of move. You know, I was kind of leaning towards Atlanta. We were talking about that a little bit before the show started, just because I think Atlanta's offense is more ready to accommodate an Anthony Richardson. But if you think Anthony Richardson's the guy and you think he's going to be franchise, a franchise changing type of player, like this is the type of move a team needs to make. And a part of it is because if you're planning on being good next year, you know, let's say you win eight games if you're Tennessee, you will not be in a position to pick one of the top guys. You're going to be in the same position next year. And at least now, at three, there's a team that doesn't need a quarterback that would be willing to trade with you. 
and and I think you have a shot at getting a guy that you think has a high upside. So that this feels like a good move for Tennessee. It just would kind of show their fans the direction that their team is going for the future. So here's the reason why I potentially love it and potentially hate it is just two sides of the same sword. You drafted Malik Willis in the third round last year, and he was not good yeah. uh, in, in his games. So bad, in fact, that you go out and sign Joshua Dobbs, who's not exactly a world beater, to play your most important games of the season after Ryan Tannehill is hurt late in the year. So you do have one more year of Tannehill. Um, he can certainly be a, a bridge guy if you want to give Willis another year or even Richardson if you draft him. But you have this crazy athlete with a huge arm, incredible mobility, um, great runner. Like you've got him in your building and you've already put one year into him and you draft him in the third round. So it's not like you did a, you draft him in the first, but you did draft him in the third. And for that reason, drafting another guy who is a better version of that, who's also going to need time, feels incredibly silly. However, if you saw Richardson, or sorry, sorry, you saw Willis, and you're like, oh God, we messed that up. We know we want this kind of guy because we want to be a run first team, whether it's with Derrick Henry, whoever comes after Derrick Henry. But we know that that's who we want to be, and having a quarterback who can be a thousand yard rusher is something that's important to us. But Willis is not that guy because he's so far away, aka he'll never get there. Then I guess I understand it. If it basically to me, this is really smart if you know that Willis is is broken beyond repair or not 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 able to ever get to a playable level. However, if he is, and he just needs a little bit more time in a year where you're already kind of rebuilding anyway, I, I would just stick with Willis and use your top, you know, whatever pick that they have. Uh, I can't remember their 11th, I think, um, is where their natural spot is. They're trading up to third here. Um, I would use the 11th pick on, on literally anything else. And I just can't, I mean, I guess it's hard to make that determination without knowing what Willis is from the inside, but that's kind of where I sit. I was like, if Willis is broken, sure, love it. If he's not, then just just keep developing him and and go that way. I mean, that's essentially what the Atlanta Falcons have committed to, at least in name to, to Ritter, right? You know, they've kind of done the same thing, third round quarterback, whatever. I do think it's important to acknowledge the distinction between Willis and Richardson. Like, Willis was so incredibly raw so raw and then there was all these rumors around the combine that he couldn't from his college coaches that he couldn't learn offenses and i think you see that now right and so right. with that information like this does not surprise me in the least that they, this would even come up and i think what you're seeing now is that like you need to take more bites at the apple and if he can't do it and it's like if he's in a question that he can't do it let's let's go with a guy who's a little bit more of a sure thing he's a better athlete he's played a better football at a higher level He's shown more traits. Now, is he still a little bit of a developmental guy? Absolutely. But it's not – don't clump those two guys together. I think it's natural to do that because of their skill sets and because of their play styles. But, the, like, Richardson's – And the fact they both need development. It's just, like, how much do Right, but need? I think Richardson is a, is closer, you know? And I think because of his physical freakiness, um, you feel a little bit better about it. So I, if this is the way they want to go – again, I said I'd probably prefer Atlanta – but if this is the way they want to go, I think this is an excellent move for them. You know, it, it, because you're basically saying we need a franchise quarterback in the future, a young guy. That, and if this is your evaluation, trust your evaluation and get that done. So I, I think that is um, – I, I don't hate it. I don't. Ha I never hate 
trading up and taking a shot on a quarterback if you think it's the guy. I think that's where the that's right. where the discussion is. Is do you have enough confidence that Anthony Richardson is that guy? And I don't I don't know if I can definitively say yes based on what I've seen. Like would I trade up for him? I'd be tempted, but I don't think I would just because there's a lot of question marks about him and his development, his lack of experience, all those different things. Yeah. I think hearing what you just said about Willis, like I was at first I was like I hate this so much. And then uh as as kind of we talked through it yesterday on the show, I was like actually I think I love this. Yeah. And I th- I think I've landed on like okay, I'm down with this because to me, what this says, if like this is out there, whether it's getting leaked to Mel or just like through league circles or he's proposing this based off what he's heard about R- Willis, it's like they already know. Like yeah, Willis they, was a for sure they know. Like he's 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 just never the Dobbs thing. Get there. The Dobbs thing is the biggest indicator ever. Willis was in the offense for like 15 weeks as the number two guy, right? For 15 weeks and number one for some of those, right? Weeks. And then you say this guy can't even execute after that. We can't get a package out there for him for whatever reason. And you get a guy off the street who executes the offense better than him. I think that that is, that's all the indication you need. Right. And maybe he has yeah. a great off season. Maybe he's really developed. I don't know. Right. But I, I'm not, I'm not mortgaging my future or the f- future of my franchise right. on that. I would say the only thing that would be a little tempting is to, to try it again, see if he can figure it out with another off season. And then, if he bombs, then you're in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, but that is risky. And if you like Richardson, right? Why wouldn't you just take Richardson? I think that's the big thing. Um, if you like them, and, and so it, it just depends on how much you like. If you think Richardson can develop into the guy, and you know because of where you're at and your current phasing of your kind of your roster that you have a year till you're going to be competitive anyway. Like they might trade Derrick Henry on draft day. Yeah, like that's that that's crazy, a possibility. Yeah. Like they they absolutely are trying to reset in Tennessee. And so if you know you have that year, like, and Richardson's ceiling is what it is, like, I don't, I don't mind that at all. Um, who else do you think is, is a possibility? You mentioned Atlanta to trade up for Richardson. Like who are the best fits for him? If someone is going to leapfrog Indy and also if you're Indy, would you consider trading up one spot to make sure that you get him. You know, I, I think if you're into you, you just trade up one spot to make sure you get the guy that you want. Uh, you know, whether it's Richardson or Levis, I'm not, I don't have any insight on who they want. Uh, a team that I love, I love for Richardson is Detroit. They have an extra first round pick. Can you move up with a, they pick in six. Can you move up to three, yep. get their guy of the future and have him sit for two years behind golf. Like, I think that is excellent. And, and I know they, they feel like they're in a window. I think they probably feel like they can win now with golf. But if you do feel that way, you're not going to be picking this high ever again. And to be to have access to this kind of talent in this draft, I think is is is, is pretty hard to pass up. So that's a team that I think if I was them, I would definitely think about doing that. Um, will they do it? Probably not. But that those are probably my three teams: Detroit, Atlanta, and Tennessee. Quite frankly, to trade into that third spot, and I don't know who they're going to pick, but to trade into the third spot for their quarterback of the future. Yeah. I the Atlanta fit is seems so seems logical. silly, right? Um, they want to be a crazy run heavy team. They want to run a ton of outside zone. Like it feels like they could recreate as close to what we've seen of the 2012 offense you were a part of here. Yeah, where it's like we can go super zone read. We can simplify things for our quarterback. Our quarterback is a home run threat to score from anywhere on the field with his legs or his arm right. because just like just like uh. RG like 
Richardson has a cannon. Like his immediate best weapon is going to be his legs, where he could be a thousand yard rusher from day one. Um, he's also a better runner than RG was. Like yeah. Robert in a straight line was incredible. Um, and you think of like the run against Minnesota where he gets he gets out on the edge, he gets to run straight, nobody can catch him. But like as a shifty, like make people miss guy, and obviously the physical strength and size that Richardson has compared to what Robert was. Um, talking about two totally different athletes, but like Robert, as you well know, is someone who was on the receiving end of his catches. Like he had a cannon, yeah. like the deep ball was, was incredible for him. Um, and he could really zip it. And, and obviously Richardson has that as well. It feels like Atlanta could recreate some level of that with Arthur Smith. Um, and it, it the question becomes like, do they want to give up the capital it takes or do they have too many holes elsewhere on the roster? Yeah. Like to me, that would be the concern if I was Atlanta, but they've also done a good job of filling some of that stuff in free agency. Yeah. Like they, I mean, they obviously get Okuda. They'll see if they can revive his career and keep him healthy to start. Uh, and then is he good? But they also have like Jesse Bates. They have, you know, you know, do they sign in the secondary? They, they did some smart things in free agency yeah. to bulk up some of their needs. They re-signed McGarry and all of a sudden it's like in a very, very, very weak NFC South. Yeah, they got as good a shot as anybody. Right, absolutely. So, I mean, I, that that seems like again, I agree. I think that's probably the best natural fit for him. But um, they've committed to Ritter, at least in name, and we'll see on draft day. I think I think this year draft day is going to be a little crazy with regards to trades. I think it's going to be all over the place because I think I think we're going to talk about this later in the show. But like, I think depending on who you talk to, you're going to get wildly different evaluations on some of these guys. Like, you know, I, I listen to a uh, it's a scouting podcast. And they have a couple of scouts on that kind of give oh, former scouts that give their grades on guys, and very rarely are they unanimous after the first one or two guys. And I think with Richardson, for example, the last one I listened to, you know, some people had him as the sixth guy, some people had him as seven, some people were oh he's the number one guy. So I think it just depending on the team and their evaluation, you're going to get drastically different perspectives and drastically different opinions on what the trade is worth to the team. So. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you are listening or watching right now. A podcast comes out twice a week. We don't want you to miss anything. But Logan, let's actually get into that. We're gonna, we're going to call this segment the art of value, yeah. right? Because it is certainly not a science. It is not something that is beyond mathematical reproach. And also, art is is something whose beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I might look at a painting and be like, that is a masterpiece. And you might look at it and be like, that is hideous. That is I would never put that yeah. in my... Yeah, I would not pay a cent for that. I would not hang it in my home. And whether it's scheme fit, uh, certain traits that you'll like, personality fit with the position coach, there are so many different things that impact how a player is valued by each individual, nevertheless, team yeah. evaluator. So let's just start broad and then kind of get into some of the examples of why a guy like Darnell Wright all of a sudden is being mocked number nine in Chicago when a lot of people throughout most of this process had him as a back end of the first round guy, maybe even slipping into the second. Meanwhile, you've been talking about a guy like Anton Harrison, yeah. who you think is going to go possibly in the first half of the first round, right. someone who's uh, Washington could take at 16. Kuiper's got him going 32. Uh, Dewan Jones is not in the first this two round mock at all right. for Mel Kiper, uh, he's got, and he's right, a guy he's got that, Blake Freeland ahead of him, you know. And I, yeah, and I hate and, Blake Freeland. I I hate is a strong word, but I think he's more of a developmental guy than than yeah. picking someone in the second so, round. 
how do we wind up with these prospects all over the map? Yeah, so I think it's really it's really interesting. You know, and I think the tackles is something we've talked about. I think it's relevant to Washington. So, you know, Peter Skaronsky is a guy that feels pretty safe and feels like a lot of people are going to have a very high value on him, right? Because he's very technically sound. He plays physically, not a lot of mental mistakes. Physical measurements are solid in terms of height weights or in terms of jumping, running, sprinting type of thing. A little bit undersized, right? So there are guys, there are teams that will have, we've talked about physical thresholds before, that have a physical threshold on him and say he doesn't meet the physical threshold. He's a guard for us. So if you have him evaluated as a guard, he's going to instantly move past a guy like Paris Johnson or Dewan or, or um, Roderick Jones, right? And so then I get to my evaluation and I say, well, I, I think he can play tackle. And I think he's a good enough football player that he's going to be either a guard or a tackle. And I'm okay with taking a guard or a tackle at eight as the best offensive lineman in the draft. And I think he's ready to play right now. So he's my number one guy. But a team might have a physical limitation on him. They might not like his upside. That's another thing a lot of guys do is they draft for upside. So like Paris Johnson has an upside that can't even be measured. You know, he's 6'7", he's 320, 315. He's fast, he's explosive, he's dexterous, he's got long arms, he's got everything you want. He's got position flex. And his ceiling is that he could be a top five tackle in the NFL because physically he's got those traits. So some teams might have him as number one, right? You say Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones, again, another athletic physical freak from a height, weight, speed, movement standpoint. But I technically don't like how he plays. I think I think he's got technical deficiencies in his game that I don't like. So he goes down the board. So I have Anton Harrison above him right? In terms of pass protection, things like that. So even in this slight three-man thing, depending on who you talk to, you could have Paris Johnson, Anton Harrison, or Peter Skaronsky as your number one tackle in this draft. And that's just, that's just from my, that's just the perspective of the player. You know, Darnell Wright, we haven't talked about him. Like I could see there is a path to me seeing him as the number one tackle taken in this draft. Because he's big. That's what Kuiper's got. Yeah, he's big. He's physical. He's got excellent feet. He kind of plays the position with the appropriate amount of violence. Is it always perfect? No. Is he a one-year wonder? Yes. And some people are going to demote him for that. So just, again, there is so many. It's about making your case and making your argument. And I was listening to something a GM said. He's like, we had to go. I think I've said this on the show. Is we had to go to a tiered system because opinions are so different. We just have to get guys tiered correctly. Get them in the right buckets so that we can say, hey, your opinion on Anton Harrison and my opinion on Darnell Wright, we view them as comparable players. So it doesn't really matter who we take here to fit our perspective, right? So the scouts don't get mad at each other. And that's that's this this is not even without talking about, I think, scheme fit, right? Because I think if you're a run for a scheme, Darnell Wright's going to move up. So for Chicago, that's, a, I think, a right. good fit, right? Anton Harrison for a pass-first team, like Kansas City or whatever, makes a ton of sense to me. So um, hopefully that clears that up a little bit just from like a tackle perspective, you know? And then the fact that he doesn't have Dewan Jones in the first two rounds is kind of insane to me. Because when you talk to people around the league, people are pretty high in Dewan Jones because of the physical upside and the fact that they think he could be maybe the best tackle long-term in this class, right? But then Mel Kuyper, a guy that I have a ton of respect for, has Blake Freeland in the as a top what is it the seventh tackle on his board sixth tackle on his board and to, like and to me or at least at least how he comes off in terms of because that's the thing too is like the board versus the mock like Mel's I can pull up their composite ESPN's rankings but 
Um, I don't know if Mel has his big board up or that's just something McShay does at this point. Right. Point is like he might have Dewan Jones higher, but he might think that the fit is better in Washington for Freeland unless he goes there. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't agree with that because I don't think Freeland's like ready to play. And I think his upside's a little bit lower and here I've heard Mel talk about Blake Freeland and he thinks because of the athletic traits, his upside's higher. And I kind of disagree because I think he's technically too far away. And it, there, there's a there's a difference of opinion right there on a player that, um, and I think I'm I think I'm right. But you know I'm going to trust my evaluation. I'm going to trust my perspective. But I think that just shows you like the perception of value. And then like that's just within the same position. And how do you weigh that value? You know, positional value, um, positional value for your team, positional value for your scheme, and it just becomes super super complicated. And so on these boards. You know, you'll see somebody, you know, mock Nolan Smith in the top 10. And if you get a comp saying, oh, he's the next Von Miller, then that's absolutely makes sense. And I can see that. I can see him being that player. But it's just another team might say he's too small. He's 235 pounds. He's too small to play defensive in the NFL. Right. So for Kuyper, uh, he's got his tackle rankings. This is his big board. Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison, Matthew Bergeron, Blake Freeland, Cody Mock, Tyler Steen, Dewan Jones, Joey Fisher, Jalen Duncan. That's my, that's that's his top wow. eleven. Wow. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Todd McShay and Scout Sink uh, have Skaronsky, Jones, Johnson, Wright, Harrison. Uh, Dewan Jones is six for right. them. Cody Mock, Matthew Bergeron, Jalen Duncan. Blake Freeland's 10, Tyler Steen's 11. So same 11 guys, very different order. Yes, I'd probably agree more with the second list there. And I'd probably even have break I'd probably even have Tyler Steen ahead of Blake Fre- Fre- Freeland just to give you some context on my perspective there. And I think Cody Mock sh- is a guard. You know what I mean? Like so it's like he's the fifth tackle on that board. He's a guard to right. me. So um And by the way, he's got uh Kuyper's got Skaronsky listed as a guard on his list. Right. And and I would I can see that. But again, I'm going to let him play tackle first. So I, I think that's just a really good case study in showing value and like how it's totally in the eye of the beholder. And you put in all this work and you try to make it as not objective as possible or not subjective as possible, excuse me, but it's a subjective thing. It's an art, not a science. And that's why the, the draft is such a crapshoot. Because let's say you got a scout who you really trust, who's got a high evaluation on somebody and they say, this is the guy, we got to make it happen. And he just misses. Right, he just misses on the eval, right. and you make that assessment on him, and his track record's good, but he misses on this guy, and I think that's where this this whole process becomes so convoluted and so complicated, um, and that's why, in my opinion, you should never overvalue your evaluation. You should always try to kind of see what what the what the group think is on a player, and make sure that you can kind of get that perspective. I think Tyree Wilson's a very interesting example of this. Like, I'm not overly hyped up with Tyree Wilson. Right. I don't love him, his tape, but everybody else seems to love it. And so I'm like, there's something going on here that I'm not necessarily seeing. Like, am I going to take him at six or seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12? Probably not. I'd go a different direction. Like, I think in our mock, we kind of let him slide a little bit, or I don't remember exactly what happened, but, mm. but I'm, I'm also not going to overvalue my evaluation because there's something in there in the soup that I'm not seeing potentially. And I always want to keep that in the back of my mind, you know, and I think that that's something where I think teams, you see them reach on players like the, um, I guess it was the Oakland Raiders when, uh, what's his name, was the GM there. What was the, the he was the TV analyst guy. Um, uh, Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock. And they were constantly reaching on players. 
It's just right. because he he trusted his evaluation too much. And that's bad process because you're not always going to be right. And it's important to kind of fall into the slots of the big board and see where players are falling and how they're allocated. And then you can, if you do really like a player, say, hey, everyone likes these players more. I can get this guy in the second round. So it just helps you build your draft process out. And it is. It's, it's such a subjective thing. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder in life, and especially when it comes to football evaluations. Definitely. So how does this then impact the rest? Like, okay, so that that's a big, giant conversation that is, in a lot of ways, internal, right? This yeah. is how we set our board. Yeah. This is how we do it. But then how does that affect everything else? And this is where, like, the commander sitting at 16 have to have that feeling of what other teams sure. think. Yep. Because... If everyone has the same board, there's no trades in Correct. the draft. Because there's no reason to go up and get a player if you don't value them more than someone else. Like, okay, well, you know, where are we going to why would we trade up for, you know, Anton Harrison if we think he's the same value as everyone else does right. or, you know, if our board is is it the same in terms of the tiers. And so what the commanders need to happen is they need someone to fall who they don't particularly like that someone that they're like, eh, okay, fine. Yeah. But another team and really ideally two other teams loves. So let's say, we- let's say that player is Broderick Jones. Okay. Let's say at tackle, they're just like, he's all the people yeah. that don't like Broderick Jones. We like it. We don't like him for those reasons, but there's a lot of people that really like so this, Jones. Here, upside's crazy. Here, let me just like polish this up a little bit. So yeah. to, to your point, let's say I have, uh, let's say, let's say you have uh, Skronsky, Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones as your top tier offensive lineman. I don't disagree. I disagree with that. Right. But let's say that's what you have on your board. And on my board, right. I have um, Paris Johnson, Skronsky, Harrison, Broderick Jones and Broderick Jones is a second tier player for me. Correct. Right. Right. So I don't care. I don't give. I don't give a damn. But you think he's a top three tackle in this draft, right? right? And you're now the Commanders. Yes. So I'm calling you, yes. and I'm going, hey, uh, we. What's it going to take for for me, uh, Tampa, to come up to sixteen? Be- because we got a guy that we like. Because all the other top tier tackles are gone. And everybody, because yeah, Skaronsky and, and who do we say? Uh, Paris Johnson. Johnson are gone. Yep. And so it's Broderick Jones has fallen. Yeah. And he's right there at 16. We could take him. We don't like him that much, but Tampa, he's in that top tier of offensive linemen for them. He's the only other first right. round offensive lineman. Because that's all that's, you know, in addition to buckets, they also tier it by first round grade, right? So let's say they have a first round grade on them, and none of the other offensive linemen have a first round grade. But hey, look at me. I'm feeling okay about that because I have Anton Harrison with a first round grade. So if I know you're going to trade up to this spot for Broderick Jones, great, take him. Because I'll just trade back to 19 and I'll take Anton Harrison. And I get the guy I want and another pick and you get the guy you want and you screw that up in my in my evaluation, right? And I think you overvalued your evaluation, if that makes sense. Right. And then the, other, the best thing that can happen is, because like if that's the case, right, we're two teams, we're on the phone. What's going to happen is I'm going to say, hey, all right, the, the Jimmy Johnson draft card uh which is kind of still what most teams base their trade values off of is says to go from 19 to 16 it's going to cost you your x and y pick 
we'll send you this and maybe, you know, maybe one of our fifths, we sw- whatever the, yeah, whatever the, the card yeah. says, right? But if all of a sudden, who we say is the commanders, you're the commanders, right? Yeah. In this particular deal. If you can say, hey, uh, it, it, the, the, the card says it's this, but we've also got Minnesota at 23 on the phone. Yeah. And they're willing to go over the card value. And they want Nolan give Smith. Give us your best offer. You know, like they want Nolan Smith or somebody completely different. They right. just want the spot. Because again, their evaluation right. might be Nolan Smith is a top 10 player in the draft, right? And he's there at 16. Like we got to sure. get up and get him. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I think that's the cool thing about this process is it's not just tackles. It's not just DBs. It's like if you have a top 10, top five evaluation on a player, and it and it and I think everyone sees these mock drafts now, and it's like, oh, these are the top five guys. These are the top ten guys. That's not how teams look at it. There are dudes in there that are saying, oh, Kalijah Canty's the best defensive tackle in the draft. And if he starts sliding down the board, and he's available at sixteen. I could see someone in the back end trading up. It just is about how who do I think the prettiest girl at the bar is, or the prettiest boy, whatever it is, and how am I going to make sure that I go home with them with the right value? And again, it only works if they have a big grade on these guys, and they might. We don't know teams draft boards and that's where they guard them with their lives. But that's another right. that's and so that's all of a sudden where you get and I think in this draft specifically, because there's so many kind of there's not like this definitive like this guy's awesome, this guy's awesome. You're gonna get mixed evaluations and it can lead to this kind of pop up and let's see if we can get what we can get. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the same player, but like the best best scenario is you get Detroit at 18 and Minnesota at 23, two division rivals yes. fighting over the same player. Yeah. Because if it's if it's different players, then maybe one of them calls Pittsburgh and is like, hey, right. we know that Minnesota is about to trade up to 16 to take Nolan Smith. We want, we want who is it we have falling? Broderick Jones. Yeah. Uh do you can we can we work out something with you instead? They give up a little bit less. They they still get their guy. Uh, that's good information, you know, usage, that's good information sharing, et cetera. But if you got, if you got two teams and especially if they, they specifically hate each other, yeah. uh, are going to have to play each other twice a year fighting over the same guy. Now you have a bidding war. Like yeah. that's the absolute best thing. And especially when you know, cause to your point, right. In this scenario, your tier one players are gone. There's not a player on your board that you one. still want at yes. that spot. You now have 10 players in the next bucket, and you can get any of those 10 and be happy five picks from now. Yes. Like, sweet. Okay, so four of them might be gone, but so be it. Right. We still are going to get a guy we like. So that plus, is the best. Plus where you're a pick. Like, plus a pick. Hey, right. Plus, plus pick or picks, depending on where the movement is, et cetera. So I, I think that like that's where the information game becomes so oh, important. So important. Yeah. Do you know what other teams want? Do you know who you're going to want to call when you get to the clock? That it's like, and, and I think that's the risk of, of information sharing, but also the reward of it. If you're a GM, like if I am, Oh God, what's the GM's name in Detroit? Um, oh, I don't even know anymore. Oh it's God. What's guy. his name it, on hard knocks last year? That's great. <laughs> um, that guy, or if I'm, if I'm, you know, whoever the GM is in Tampa, I'm probably having a conversation sometime earlier in the week of the draft, like Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. I'm giving uh I'm giving one of the Martys a call and going, Hey, if player X, like what do what do you think? Uh Brad Holmes, thank you, Nick. Um, if I'm Brad Holmes at 18, I, I call the Martys and I'm like, Hey, 
um, it doesn't seem like you would really be interested in this player. Yeah. We really like him. Like if he's on the, on the clock or on the board, when you get on the clock, give a, give me a call. Right. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they do that. There's, do there's do that? those kinds of things that, that definitely happen. Yeah. I mean, these guys all know each other too. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's, you don't want to give away your cards, right. but you also don't want to be unprepared. And you also don't want a team to be on the phone with someone else when you know that there's a distinct possibility that you could move up in the draft and get where you want to go. So like, it's a huge, like risk reward. Do I share this info? Do I not? How close do I hold this to the vest? Can I trust this guy? Like there's a lot of that that's happening behind the scenes. And by the way, I think that also winds up making its way to some of the the people in the media doing the mock drafts <laughs> that can inform them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you know, I heard that this team really likes this player. Right. Like sometimes teams, you know, as much as they protect their boards, sometimes they want it out there so that other teams know and they can make those calls and, and be prepared for all situations come actual draft day. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And that's why it's so crazy to me. Like, I remember I was talking to someone last year, and they're like, oh, you know, draft's coming up. Are you excited? He's like, no, man, it's a lot of work for a very small payoff, potentially. You know, very small, yeah. like, kind of seven guys. And you got to evaluate 300, and you got to kind of do all these mental gymnastics. And it it, it is it is a crazy thing that that takes a lot of time. But, um, you know, if you make the right call, you're building your team, you know. So that's uh, it's a fun time of year. No doubt. All right. So next Wednesday, uh, we have our crossover podcast with Brian Baldinger and Jason Lockenfora. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, I have a pod before that on Monday. And then in two weeks, we'll do our final mock draft ahead of the draft on Thursday. And then uh, I don't know exactly what we'll do. Uh, maybe maybe we do one the day before the draft a pod, or maybe we wait till Friday once the first round pick is in. Maybe we do extra pods that week. So we'll figure out. Yeah, we can do out. like little bonus pods or something. Yeah, which which is why Logan people people should subscribe. That way, you just never miss an episode. It's like, oh, hey, look, another episode. You can watch us at youtube.com slash at one oh six seven the fan. Post some clips youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman as well. Of course, you can listen on the free Odyssey app or your favorite podcast platform. Uh, until then, uh, until next week, he's Logan. I'm Craig, and we'll see you. Thanks for listening. Take care.